0: Welcome to the Life Church Auburn Hills Sermon Podcast. We're a multicultural community being transformed and empowered by the grace, truth, and love of Jesus. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Hello, everybody. In case we have not met, my name is Cam Underdown, and I am the co planter here at Life Church Auburn Hills. All right. Well, I think like three people know what that means. All right. And everybody else is like, it sounds. It sounds. It sounds official. Um, I got to make up my own title, and uh, and I really love that. I I enjoy that. Uh, basically, all you need to know about me is that I like to help and establish any sort of system or team or find the right volunteers to help Life Church Auburn Hills get started and get started well. Okay, that is my focus. And Life Church Auburn Hills. In case this is your first day here, which for some of you who I invited and others who I have never seen before, I believe it is your first day here. And I want to give you just a little bit of information about Life Church Auburn Hills so that you can know who we are. Life Church Auburn Hills is a church plant, which means that we are a church just beginning our journey. Okay, we didn't even gather the way you're gathered, sitting in seats like you're sitting in today, and. T- until January of this year, we didn't start having weekly services until Easter. That was only in April. Last fall, a year ago, we had about 30 or 40 adults right here in this cafeteria with the wall shut, sitting around tables, getting to know each other, asking the question Is God calling me to be a part of this journey with Life Church Auburn Hills? And thankfully, He has called many to be part of that journey. We are a multicultural community whose mission is to make disciples in Auburn Hills who will make disciples of all nations. That is a mission that drives me. Yeah, you can clap for that. That is a mission to me that is absolutely worth spending my life for. Now, again, I'm the co-planter, so You're not going to see me up here very often. Normally, you're going to see me back there or behind a door or walking around or doing something else. Uh, Accounting, I do a little bit of that. If you're an accountant in the room today and you want to serve Life Church Auburn Hills, please talk to me. Um, I'm not an accountant, but I play one on Thursday nights usually. So, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about accounting. Today, I get to share part of my story. And it's, it's not an easy story to share. It's actually pretty difficult. I want to share my story with this question. What if I'm addicted? Maybe this is a question that you have asked yourself before. Maybe it's something that you know personally. For me, it was a scary, scary question to ask. Maybe the most frightening question i've ever asked i was terrified of the potential answer to this question i didn't want to have an addiction i never did if i had an addiction i thought man i'm going to be weak or if i have an addiction i must be i must be dumb or i must be out of control or i'm i'm dirty These were the words that I heard describe people who were struggling with addiction. It's the words that I heard people describe on the news. It's the words I heard people describe uh, to me in person. And I didn't wanna be one of those words. So I stayed in secret with my addiction for years. Now, before I share this story, I wanna say that I'm quite confident that in some way every single person here today has been impacted or affected by addiction. Maybe you're like me or some other folks who I know where you know the deep personal effects of it. You know the pain on a firsthand basis. Maybe you know it through a loved one. Maybe you've watched all the hopes and dreams that you had for that person ripped away by something that seemed so out of control and maybe if you've never even come across it personally maybe maybe you've been impacted by a leader or a boss or a politician or a church leader who's struggled with addiction and they kept it secret and when it all finally comes out and all the trust has been destroyed, you ask yourself the questions, how did it get this bad? How did it come to this? There's one phrase that I think we should all learn today. And I've been part of dedicated recovery programs for the last three years. Okay, so I'm, I'm no expert. But when... I'm in these recovery programs. One of the things that we do together is we learn phrases, usually short ones, that help us remember a really important truth so that we can come back to it in moments when we're struggling. And not only do we learn these phrases, but we say them out loud together. And I want to do that together with you, okay? So this is, this is the phrase I want to—I'm going to say it first, and then I'm going to ask you guys to repeat it with me, okay? And the phrase is this. Secrets steal— but the truth heals. Is it behind me? Perfect, all right. I'm gonna to count to three and then I want us to say this together. Ready? One, two, three. Secrets steal, but the truth heals. Secrets steal, but the truth heals. This, I think, is a really helpful way to remember the essence of recovery. It comes From the teachings of Jesus Christ, who was a Jewish rabbi who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, claiming he was God, and he gave this teaching to his followers at the time. And this teaching is recorded in the Bible, in the book written by John, one of Jesus' followers. And I'm going to show it on the screen, okay, but if you want to look on your phone, if you brought a Bible with you, it's John chapter 10, verse 10, and it's this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I, this is Jesus speaking now, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. i read that one more time. The thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, if you were invited here or you've seen any of our logos, you see this word come up, life. Life Church. Life Church, Auburn Hills. This verse, John 10, 10. Okay, is the verse that our church, not only just our church, but all the churches in our life church network have been founded on. Okay? Because this is what God wants for all of us. He wants us to have a full life. Now, I want to share a little bit of background on this teaching. And whenever I, I get to talk about the Bible, I get to talk in front of a group of people. I like to share background. And for some of you who know me, you might think it's because I like to talk. I like to talk a lot. And I do. I really do enjoy talking a lot. I'm seeing some nods from people who know me well. They're like, yeah, we've experienced that. But the reason I like to share so much and try to share some of the background in terms of what we're talking about is because 12 years ago, I was an atheist. 12 years ago, okay, all I knew about the Bible and about Jesus was what I knew so that I could oppose Christians. I would sometimes get invited by people to come to their church, and if they could, man, it would take a really special occasion when I was an atheist to get me to come to a church. But it happened on, I think, maybe three occasions. And every time I went to church, people would talk about the Bible, and I would just kind of sit back and feel a little lost and wondering. What are they even talking about? I have no idea what's going on here. So, because I hope there are people like who I used to be sitting here today, I want to go dive a little bit into the background of this story and tell you what's going on. Jesus, okay, this Jewish teacher, said these words 2,000 years ago in Israel, specifically in Jerusalem, which was the center of the Jewish world. And he's saying it in response to somebody, okay? He wasn't just walking around telling people, write down what I say, okay? I've got a good one for you today. I come to give you life to the full. Never forget. No, here's what had happened. Earlier before, before this was all happening, there was a man who was born blind, Okay? And at the time, in that place in Israel, the view was that if this man was born blind, it was because he had sinned or his parents had sinned. He was dirty. He was an outcast. And so what does Jesus do when he encounters an outcast? He welcomes them. All the time, he's just welcoming, 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 and that's what he does. And so that's exactly what he did with this person who was born blind. And not only does he welcome them, he has the power to heal them. And that's exactly what he did. He healed this man born blind. And this caused a stir. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if there was someone blind Today, seated here amongst us, and I walked out and I said, In the name of Jesus, you're healed. And this person, and you knew they were blind, you knew they had been blind for 20 years or something like that, and all of a sudden they could see. I think we just stopped the service altogether. People would be going crazy. Some people would probably walk out and be like, I don't know what's going on in this place. I gotta get out of here. That would have been me, all right? So, kudos if that was you. There was a group of religious leaders who were very, very angry about Jesus healing this man born blind. And they were angry because Jesus kept breaking all of the religious rules that they were trying to uphold. Now, I was in Israel this last April, okay? This religious group, they were called the Pharisees. And I was in Israel, and I was learning all about Jesus' life and his ministry in Israel. It was an amazing trip. And you know what I had? I had sympathy for the Pharisees. I had sympathy for this group that opposed Jesus. Because you know why? Because they were oppressed too. They were this religious group under the rule of Rome. And all they wanted to do was have deep religious traditions so they could separate themselves from Rome and keep their identity. I think we can all appreciate that. We don't want anyone to come over us and tell us who we are and tell us whose subjects we are. And the reason they got so mad about this healing was because when Jesus healed the man who was born blind, he told them, you've been healed, pick up the mat you were with and walk. Walk. Now this happened on a certain day of the week when the man wasn't supposed to pick up his mat and walk. And they said, Jesus, you got to stop doing this. Stop, 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 stop. You're ruining it. We're trying to separate ourselves from Rome. And you are ruining it. You're killing our Jewish identity. Why would you do this? You're a Jew yourself. And Jesus has some words for them. He has these words. For them, he has a lot more words, but this is kind of the crux of it. He says, "The thief, Satan, this name that describes all the dark forces in this world." And if you don't believe in dark forces of this world, I mean, you must have—you don't have a phone, uh, you don't have access to the internet, <laughs> you're not near a newspaper. There are dark forces in this world, and Jesus is saying, "The thief." Satan, that's what that's what the Jewish people would call this enemy of God. He said, That person is coming to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come to give life. And he uses the word they. Do you notice that? That they may have life. Who's he mean? He means all those people who are struggling. He means all those people who are outcast. Here he was, trying to explain to the religious leaders that he himself was God and that God comes to give life and life to the full. But this enemy is always trying to oppose. Satan is the name. And Satan will do whatever Satan can do to rob us of all the good things that God has for us. And addiction, this is a good one to remember. It's a good one to write down. It's a good one to commit. To your memory, addiction is one of Satan's very best tools to steal, kill, and destroy me. For myself, I know this to be true. It was my addiction to pornography that was designed to steal from me, kill me, destroy me. It was designed to steal intimacy, kill my ability to form meaningful relationships, and destroy any hope of a healthy sexual life and a healthy family life. And since my addiction involves pornography, I just want to share a couple of thoughts about sex. Okay, it's sexually related, this addiction. Because some of you may be wondering, like I might have been wondering, you'll hear about this in a little bit, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about pornography? The big deal about pornography is that God has some very specific boundaries around sex. And they are there for a reason. And they are there not to harm us, but to help us. Okay? I didn't always believe this. God is the author of life. He's the creator. And if he has had a hand in creation, he's definitely had a hand in forming what we know and experience with sex. And if he formed sex, he also is the one who gets to set the boundaries and the parameters of it, because he's the author. He makes the rules, not me, not you. This is what God desires for sex. He says that the only appropriate, not only is appropriate, but the best environment for sexual activity is between two people in a committed marriage covenant for the purpose of having children, of having intimacy, and for pleasure as well. I am not going to sit here today. You can, I'm going to say this out loud. So now you can fault me. All right. Sex is not bad. Okay. Sex is good. Sexual desires are not bad. Sexual desires are good. Sexual activity, when it happens within the confines that God put it in, is this beautiful, intimate experience. And have I violated those boundaries? Absolutely. 100%. I've not been perfect in the least. You'll hear some of that in a minute. And pornography, too. Is pornography ever okay in terms of what it means to have a healthy sexual life? And the answer is no. Because by its very nature of involving other people than the person you are married to, okay, we are violating the boundaries that God has put around it for our benefit. Addiction. For me, addiction begins innocently. Starting in the fifth grade, about three days a week, I would come home to an empty house where my little brother was still at latchkey. And my parents were working. And it made sense, okay? I was responsible. I had straight A's. I was involved in sports. I was social. It didn't seem too out of line to send a kid who was 10 home by himself, save a little money on childcare. And then go to practice and things like that once mom came home. However, our home life at that time was a bit stressful. There was addiction in our home. There were marital problems from my parents. And I felt the weight of trying to be a peacemaker in my home between my parents and my siblings. And that was a lot of weight for a 10-year-old. And I didn't know what to do with the anxiety and fear that I felt. And so when I would come home to this empty house, it felt kind of good. And then one day, I looked on the table and there was a magazine on the table, okay? The magazine was like a women's magazine, all right? It wasn't wasn't pornographic. But it had a lot of sexual content in it, a lot of sexual language. I remember being 10 years old and being so intensely curious and I'm like, I got to read this. I've got to look at this. And so I did. And you can pretty much know what starts to happen next, I go start trying to find more information about what I was reading about now. All right, the internet exists at this point. I'm 32, but I'm not that old. All right, we had it in our house and I, I could go on the computer and I could see certain things. And I tell you, it was like euphoria. It was like in these moments, all my anxiety would go away. All my fears about the future would go away. And I was like, this Is awesome. I want more of this. Addiction intensifies in secrets. I told nobody what I was doing, okay? Not at all. I didn't share it with my parents. Sometimes people share these things and like try to show friends or siblings. No, 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 no. I was making sure that nobody knew. But it was getting harder to do that because the five and 10 minute Times where I would go and look were turning into 20 in 30 minutes. And it was taking longer and longer and longer to feel that kind of euphoria. And guys, I'm like 12. I'm 13 years old. Even at that age, I was experiencing what every person struggling against addiction experiences, which is this insatiable desire for more. There's this really helpful explanation that I want to read from the National Institute of Health and it'll be up behind me. And it's this. A healthy brain rewards healthy behaviors like exercising, eating, or bonding with loved ones. It does this by switching on brain circuits that make you feel wonderful, which then motivates you to repeat those behaviors. In contrast, when you're in danger, a healthy brain pushes your body to react quickly with fear or alarm so you'll get out of harm's way. And if you're tempted by something questionable like eating ice cream before dinner or buying things you can't afford, the front regions of your brain can help you decide if the consequences are worth the actions. Yet, when you're becoming addicted to a substance, that normal hardwiring of helpful brain processes can begin to work against you. Drugs or alcohol can hijack the pleasure-reward circuits in your brain and hook you into wanting more and more. And addiction can also send your emotional danger-sensing circuits into overdrive, making you feel anxious and stressed when you're not using the drugs or alcohol. At this stage, people often use drugs or alcohol to keep from feeling bad rather than from their pleasurable effects. And that is exactly what happened to me. And for those of you who have struggled with addiction, you know it. You know this point where it tips over. It moves from being, oh, I feel really good, to I need that to not feel really bad. To make matters worse, at this time, I also got a girlfriend. And I felt really guilty about what I was doing and looking at pornography, so I told her, I said, I think I've got a problem with this. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. This is not a problem. This is normal. This is actually healthy. This is good. You should keep doing this. And her view was totally innocent. That's what she'd been told. That's what she'd been told in media. That's what she'd been told by people around her. That's what she'd been told at her school. Her view is not uncommon. Even though there's a continually growing body of evidence That pornography leads to less intimacy, less loving attachments, more loneliness, and even and especially more violence against women. Because of this addiction, my whole idea, and not only is the addiction, but the encouragement toward it, my idea of women and of sex and these things was, was changing, and it was changing in a negative direction. Not only was I sexually active during high school, I was even active with multiple partners and unfaithful. There's even more to that story too that I'll tell at a different time. It led to some really negative consequences. By the time I was 18, by the time I'm 19, I'm viewing pornography for like one or two hours a day on average just to not feel bad. I was an aspiring web developer I was going to school at Oakland. I could work from home. And whenever I got into this really difficult passage of studying or whenever I got into this really difficult uh, problem where I'm trying to code the website, to relieve the stress, I had to use. I mean, I couldn't even go sometimes four or five hours working at a time without using pornography. And it was around this time that I started to ask myself this question. It kind of popped in my head. What if I'm addicted, and maybe there's some of you who can relate to this experience where this question just pops up. Maybe there's some compulsive activity in your life that you're thinking about right now and that you're wondering Am I addicted? Am I addicted to alcohol because I'm drinking every day, especially when I feel stressed? Am I addicted to food? Because every time something goes wrong, I suddenly feel extremely hungry and feel the urge to eat, even if I've just recently eaten. Am I addicted to pills or pornography or nicotine or phone screens and social media? Because without them, I just can't stop from feeling bad. Where do you go from there? For me, age 19, the outspoken atheist kid... Strangely, miraculously, kind of confusingly, right to Jesus. It was a huge decision to decide to follow Jesus. I mean, anyone who knew me knew this is who I stood against. I'm looking at my sister-in-law right there who knew me before I, I got married to her sister. Okay? And she knew me during this time, and she's smiling because she remembers <laughs> She remembers. And there are so many people now, they're like, we can never picture that. You were never like that. Oh, I was. I was. So I was as surprised as anyone. I was probably the most surprised when one day in my house in Ferndale, all this, all these teachings and all this this stuff that all these Christians have been trying to tell me while I'm a college student, it all just kind of comes together one day because I decided to pray in secret. I was really struggling. And I said, Maybe these Christians are right about it. Maybe if I was alone, all right, I totally alone. I wasn't going to pray in front of anybody else or do it at like a church service or anything like that. But I was like, maybe they're onto something. So I prayed and I prayed this prayer and I looked up to the ceiling and I said, God, I don't think you're real. <laughs> that's, that's the beginning of the atheist prayer. Sometimes some of you heard the sinner's prayer. Uh, the atheist prayer, the official one begins with, God, I don't think you're real, all right? Uh, but... I could really use some help. And if you are real, help me. It's a a much longer story for a different day. But in that moment, all of the historical truths and all of my personal experiences kind of converged into this one moment. I cried for the first time in over two years, which I hadn't been able to do. I went on Facebook. I didn't know what else to do. There was this message from someone who was in a, just some school learning about Jesus in South Africa saying the night before she woke up in the middle of the night and asked her entire dormitory of like four or eight girls or whatever to pray for me. And they prayed for me for two and a half hours in South Africa. And that's what I'm reading. If he's God, he can, he can orchestrate these kind of cosmic miracles. And he did. And he did one in my life. And there was nothing else I could do. I said, I got to go to Jesus. And that helped first. Because now, 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 instead of feeling guilty and ashamed and I got to try to overcome this on my own, now I'm like, oh, wait a minute. If this God of the universe is on my side and he wants to help me, this is good news. This is really good news. I can finally say I have an addiction to pornography and not feel like my world was going to come crashing down. Remember those words from before, right? Weak, dumb, out of control, dirty. Because of Jesus' presence in my life, those words started to shift to now forgiven, loved, capable, hopeful, to fight what I was once powerless to fight. This would be a great time to wrap up the story. Be like, that's it. Ever since then, I was perfect. (laughs) And everything was great. No way. That wasn't the last day I ever used pornography. Not by a long shot. I'd kind of take two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. You know how long it took me to finally take the next step. I said I had a problem. I admitted it. I would talk about it. I'd ask Jesus for forgiveness. I'd tell other people, ask them for forgiveness. But I wasn't taking my recovery seriously. 19 was the age I was when I decided to follow Jesus and felt this miraculous forgiveness. 29 was the age when I was finally confident enough to step into an actual 12-step recovery group. And gosh, am I glad I did. <laughs> Here I was. I mean, I, I, I was fairly well-known at this point. I, I married into a well-known family. I didn't want to shame anybody with my addiction. I found a group that worked for me. I've been in that group every week except right around holidays for the last three years. Thank you. The group looks at Celebrate Recovery and... In case you've never heard of Celebrate Recovery, it's a Christ-centered 12-step. And I printed out a whole bunch of listings of like the, the closest five Celebrate Recovery meetings. We don't have them yet here at Life Church Auburn Hills. I would love to have them here one day. But if you need a group to go to get started with, there's many people who have been transformed by this ministry of Celebrate Recovery, myself being one of them. If you think Celebrate Recovery was totally enough and that the second I walked into that group, it was all done, nope. That would have been a great place to end the story, too. Everybody go sign up for Celebrate Recovery right now. Nope. I knew I needed to see a therapist. I just knew it deep inside me. Nope, 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 nope. I'm not going to therapy. I don't have a problem like that. It wasn't until last summer, guys. (laughs) It wasn't until last summer that I finally went to a therapist. Oh my goodness. I was like, what did I wait so long for? It's incredible. I, I, I have a phenomenal therapist. Um, I, I know there's another person who's a treatment placement specialist. If you're ever worried, like wondering about, you know, a place to find the right, uh, the right, the right therapy uh, for your needs, with, even with the right insurance, I got people. And they're awesome. And I love going. It's something I look forward to now. It wasn't just CR and therapy that were helping me along. Through that 10 years, you know who bore most of the weight was my wife. Now, she has been very encouraged by my journey of recovery. All right, To let your husband stand up here and post what he posted on social media about his addiction to pornography takes a special woman. You guys can clap it up for her. I heard an amen. I'll give an amen to that. I mean, I was walking up here and she said, you know, she gave me a hug and a kiss. She said, I'm so proud of you. I'm like, really? Like, for what? Because all I've done in this addiction is put you through pain. But she's just like Jesus. She doesn't see that. She just sees the recovery. She sees the steps that I'm taking Now, she's the one who's had to endure the fears and anxieties and lies from Satan that I helped empower with my addiction. Lies like, what if my husband never gets better? What if I'm never going to be enough for him? What if he wants someone or something that I can't provide? Can I trust him when he's alone? And do I constantly have to watch him? You know, these are the questions that every bride on their wedding day walks down the aisle and is thinking about. No, not at all, but that's part of me. That's part of who she married. How difficult to walk that journey, yet she's walked it with such grace and been an incredible encourager. She's one I think anyone should learn from in terms of encouraging a spouse or anybody else who's going through addiction. She never enabled me. She always encouraged me. She said, but I can't help you. She's like, you've got to go get the help you need. No shame. No judgment. No judgment. Secrets steal, but the truth heals. We all have secrets, guys. We all have secrets that we need to share with somebody. We all have secrets that need to be exposed to the truth for healing. Jesus himself, he calls himself the truth. That's why I put it up there. The truth heals. Who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. Okay, he's the one who can heal us of our darkest secrets. He's the one to go to and guys, here at Life Church Auburn Hills, this is the kind of community we want to be as well. We want to be a community, and I know we're new, but we're moving in this direction where you can bring the deepest and the darkest secrets of your life, no judgment, only assistance, only love. So, I'm an action step guy. I love action steps. Anyone who's worked with me knows that I love action steps. I wish Don Earl was here because Don Earl, our lead pastor, you know, I'm, I'm the co-planter. So I'm always asking Don Earl, like, what's the action step for what we're about to do? What's the action step? What's going to come out of this? What are we asking people to do? Here's what I'm asking you to consider today as three different action steps. The first is confess your secrets to Jesus and to a trustworthy person. I believe that today is the day to get these secrets off your chest. Our prayer team is going to be available right over here after service. And I highly encourage you, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, if you're an atheist, if you're something else, I've been them too. Just the power of saying what it is that's been eating away at you and causing fear and anxiety out loud is a huge first step, and I would encourage you to do that today. Number two, join a community of trustworthy people who can point you toward Jesus. This week, as Brendan mentioned, we're starting community groups here at Life Church Auburn Hills, right here in this cafeteria. This wall will be shut. You will not have the gym, all right? But it's right back here on Wednesday, starting at... I think 6.15 it said, 6.15, 6.30. Um, it's in your program. I'm not looking at it. Although that's not recovery specific, it's gonna be a great opportunity for you to meet people who can encourage you on your journey with Jesus. And then as I mentioned before, joining a Celebrate Recovery group or getting involved in a Celebrate Recovery chapter, I highly recommend it. They're all on the welcome table, that listing of meetings nearby and you can go to celebraterecovery.org to find one in your area. Finally, number three, become the friend who helps others confess their secrets. I've learned this in recovery, learned it elsewhere too, but helping others is the key to staying active against addiction and its temptations. On the 10th of October, we got a sign up sheet for this as well. We have a volunteer night where you can learn about how to serve others here at Life Church. But there's a number of ways to grow as a servant of other people and get to know and build relationships with folks. For example, this is one way that God is redeeming my addiction. I'm just starting to do this. I've been doing it for years, but I'm, I'm just kind of putting it out there. There's a sign-up sheet for this at the welcome table, too, if anybody wants this, or you can come to me directly. Being a web developer, I'm familiar with technology. And what I like to do is come into people's homes and kind of give them a digital health assessment and say, hey, you got some holes here that maybe you or your children or a loved one can access And here's my recommendation for how you can close up some of those holes so that people that you know and love, especially young people, can't get access to what I was getting access to at 10, 11, and 12 years old. Okay? If that's something that you would like or are interested in, just come talk to me or sign up at the Welcome Center. Now, I want to invite um, the band up right now as we close our service, or at least my time. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. Before I took these action steps that I just shared in my own life, the secrets were stealing everything from me. They were stealing intimacy that God desired for me to have. They were stealing joy that God wanted me to have. They were stealing time that God wanted me to spend loving and serving others. These secrets were stealing money from me because I couldn't complete jobs in a timely manner without using. They were stealing trust between my wife and me. And these secrets were threatening our marriage by whispering to me there was something better out there than what I had. This addiction and all the secrets that it has caused in the more than 20 years that I have battled this addiction had tried to steal everything from me, kill me, and kill the trust anyone has in me, destroy my reputation, and reduce me to nothing but a sad story of lost potential. All that, and I was too scared to say the words for so many years. I need help. Jesus, I need help. That was me. It does not have to be you. You can make that choice today. You can decide that today is the day that you're taking the first step that whether it's just a confession or the first step into full-blown recovery today can be the first day. Don't be like me. Don't wait 10 years to finally ask Jesus to help you out of your problem, or 19 years to join a recovery community, or 21 years to enter into a therapist's office. Today can be your first day, and you can be that kind of friend that can encourage others in their darkest moments. Today can be the start of something totally brand new. So here's what I want to do. I want everybody to close their eyes. I mean everybody. I know I got my boys over on on, on the lights and tech table. Just everybody close your eyes right now. It's okay. This is a moment between you and God and nobody else because that's where it starts. And I believe that right now, God's asking every single one of us a question. Is there a secret I need to confess? He's asking because he knows it's weighing you down. He's asking because he knows it might even be crushing you. He knows about it. And I'm telling you, he's not angry and he's not disappointed. He just wants to help. And he's looking at you lovingly and he's saying that he wants to help. And all you have to do is say the word. Say, I need help, Jesus, and he can help you. It may be a big secret. It may be a small secret, but we all have them and every secret is stealing from us and Jesus is tired of you being stolen from he wants you to have life and to have life to the full just confess that secret, whatever it is and as you're having that conversation, I just want to pray. Jesus, you're here with us. You are here and you know all of our secrets and you're ready to help us. You're ready to help us confess. You're ready to help us take the step of joining a support community and you are ready to help us become the friend who can help someone else in their addiction. You are ready to help us take that next step to change our path in our life, to change our family. To change our legacy for our children and our grandchildren and to battle these same secrets that we're battling right now. You are ready to help any of us who come to ask and to give the Holy Spirit without limit to any of us who ask and to bring us life to the full. Secrets may try to steal, but you are the truth, Jesus, and you always heal. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about us, visit us online at lifechargerobandheals.org.